0: Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist.
1: Hello everyone, this is Mark, and welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Today I'm joined by Rue Map. Rue is the founder of Outdoor Afro, which is an organization that has a mission to celebrate and inspire black connections and leadership in nature. Uh, The website talks about how it's a network that connects black people with our lands, water, and wildlife through outdoor education, recreation, and conservation. And they focus on a lot of different activities from fishing and hiking to biking, kayaking, and skiing, and more. And so, Rue and I, we actually uh, met this last May out in Montana at an event and then reconnected the following month in Wyoming. And I had known about Outdoor Afro for many years, but had never met Rue. And uh, now I'm seeing her everywhere. Uh, She just came out with a new campaign recently with Venus Williams as part of Outdoor Afro. She's created a new clothing line in partnership with REI that was announced, I believe, just last week. And she's also started hunting. Um, you know, she grew up fishing and doing a lot in the outdoors, but I don't think she really, you know, did did much hunting, although her father was a hunter. Uh, and she's been out as of late, uh, last few years, uh, bird hunting with Holly Heiser from Hunter Angler, Angler Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, and has also been turkey hunting with uh, Giannis Patelis over a meat eater, and so I think Rue does a great job of seeing the connection between nature and our own place in it. She, you know, she was fortunate enough to grow up uh, in a family who loved the outdoors. Uh, Her father moved from the Deep South during the Jim Crow era to California and he bought a ranch uh, or a, a hobby farm about 100 miles north of Oakland and this was a place that was very formative for Rue when she was younger and a place that she was able to really connect with the outdoors. And when Ruth talked about this, uh, and she talked about her dad's philosophy of hospitality, I knew we were going to be good friends because I couldn't agree more with that and it's something I, I like to talk about, which is we really need to have sort of that spirit and approach of, of hospitality, I think, with everyone when it comes to the outdoors. You know, and she talked about how, um, you know, when she was young, they would have celebrations out at this ranch, whether it was a holiday or an event with their faith. They had baptisms out there. And I think her father was was often quoted as saying, if you've ever come one time, you had a standing invitation at their ranch. So I think Rue is a wonderful leader. She's a philosopher. She's doing so many exciting things. And I'm glad to say uh, she's a new friend. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rue Map. So, Rue Map, welcome to the Modern Carnivore podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be
1: reconnected with you again. So, you and I connected this spring a, a couple times in a couple different states uh we were in montana at one point and then we ended up being in wyoming at the same point and um and so you know those are places i love and let me use that as sort of a, a launching off point you, where is your where is your heart when it comes to an area of the country or a state where you love to be outside and what is it that you like to do there mm. Woo! That's a tough question. <laughs> because, <laughs> I know it's a bit loaded, isn't it? Because you're, yeah. people are going to disagree with you, or, yeah. or...
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I would say I have, um, I definitely have some favorite nature places um, for different reasons. Um, I would say my my home native nature place would be California. I think that yeah. there's um, so much here because of the Seismic activity under our feet all the time in California. Um, it's a changing place with a changing landscape. And you can experience, you know, the high Sierra, you know, all the way uh, to um, the foggy um, Sempervirens redwoods. Um, and so in, in of the, those biomes, my favorite include uh, the rolling savannah woodlands, uh, which are reminiscent of my childhood growing mm. up. And, and then, of course, the majestic redwoods that um, are actually most often second and third growth redwoods um, because during the gold rush, they were clear cut uh, for the production of the housing boom of uh, new settlers to California in search of gold. And so I, I love to go to redwoods because they remind me of resiliency and a reminder that even if clear cut, the chance for regeneration and how e- even, you know, there may be things in your own life that need to be clear cut that have a chance to be regenerated again. And so the, the way that they grow so tall and strong is because of their interlaced root system beneath the surface. And that's what helps them to to grow tall. And there was a little girl who went on a hike with me and I, had this rare opportunity to actually see the root system of these, this cluster of redwoods who were growing from the edge of this overhanging cliff. And it's still there, you know, it's definitely, it's remained a point of meditation, but you can look and see the intertwining uh, roots and then you look all the way, you crane your neck, your neck all the way back, and you can just see like the tree going up as far as you can, you can see up toward the sky. And I asked the little girl, I said, "What does this remind you of?" And she looked at that root system, and she's like, "It looks like a family."
1: Hmm.
0: And I was wow. like, "That's it, you get it." And and it's so much about how we have to recognize our own need for interconnectedness to be able to grow tall, to regenerate, to be strong. Um, and that's what those redwoods remind me of. And then as I've gotten older um, in my adult life, I've fallen in love with new places. Um, and they include Alaska um, and Montana. Um, and I would say a close runner up to second to that second place is, is Wyoming. And those landscapes um, also just presents so much uh, like in me, like a sense of awe and possibility, but particularly in Alaska, you know how like you can be homesick for a place. Like when I left Alaska, I actually was like in tears because I was feeling Alaska sick in Mm. that, that kind of wild, that true last frontier wilderness where you can still go and create a whole new future for yourself with often your own bare hands was just not something that I, I, you know, you, you get to see and experience in modern life. Um, and I felt just a, a deep connection to that land and that wild that, that still, that's, that always remains with me.
1: Wow. Yeah. All, all awesome places. So Let's step back for for a moment and talk a little bit about who you are, what your mission is. Uh, And as I know from our past conversations, uh, as a little forewarning for everybody, this is going to be a a deep philosophical discussion today because those are the things that you love talking about and those are the things that I love talking about, how the outdoors connects philosophically, I think, to everyday life. Um, but you've said, I believe, that your your mission or goal is is to reconnect African Americans to the outdoors, people of color to the outdoors in these in these great spaces. And so, maybe if you could talk a little bit about your childhood growing up in in California and and how how that really was the spark that that got you to where you're at now.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, Outdoor Afro is so much about a celebration of the black American experience, right? Like that is so American. <laughs> it's just and it it's so like it it it's so deeply rooted in my father, in his story, growing up in the South, migrating to California as many black people did, um, during, you know, you know, between roughly nineteen forty and the the low seventies um, coming, you know, from these places where they were experiencing both, um, social, um, and economic, um, hardship and, and a cap on what was actually achievable and, and this, this strong desire to want more, to want better for themselves and moving westward in search of that. And, um, and so I ended up, you know, having the chance to, um, grow up, you know, in this framework of possibility and can do. And my dad also brought with him to California, not only his, you know, desire for new life, but also his love for the outdoors. And so he was a true outdoorsman. He hunted, he fished and loved those activities so much that he really uh, invested in this base camp, if you will, or a hobby farm about a hundred miles north of Oakland, and it became really my place of outdoor adventure, but also I learned about hunting and fishing. I was, you know, catching fish at a young age. And and, and and on top of all of these wonderful moments of of nature exploration, I also had this chance to experience the power of hospitality and how my dad welcomed everybody of all walks of life to that place, that ranch and how people experienced over and over their peace, their joy, their awe, their community. And it was always a celebration of, of faith. You know, we would have church services. People actually get baptized in our swimming pool from time to time. Um, but there was also like all of our holiday celebrations. And there was, um, you know, just this general feeling of homecoming. And my dad had this statement around being like, if ever you've come one time, you had a standing invitation. and for him that meant that you were always welcome. And so I grew up with all these incredible values and lessons in the outdoors and really felt that that story was not being told, that there weren't that that there was somehow this new narrative out there that black people didn't have a relationship with nature, that we didn't like the outdoors, that we were not, you know, exercising our rights to enjoy these outdoor spaces that belong to everyone. And I just knew that that was just a load of crock. Like that was not my reality. And I also, you know, was a Girl Scout and I did Outward Bound experiences. And one thing I did know was true was that when I got away from cities, I didn't see as many people who looked like me. So I wanted more people who could learn about more things they could do So that they could also have the benefits that I realized I had received from all those experiences and how my life was so enriched because of it, the inner strength that was developed, the tenacity, the um, peace. There was so much that I got from those experiences that I wanted all people to have. And I knew that I could talk about this experience as a black woman in this country Um, that hopefully could resonate with other people um, who look
1: like me. So if, you know, you talk about getting out into the outdoors and not seeing as many people who look like you. Um, So I know that you're always uh, looking to the positive, which is wonderful. You're, You're a glass half full type of person. But if people of color aren't in the outdoors, why is that? is is it getting back to the idea of lack of hospitality or it, it what you know are there are there some underlying issues
0: yeah and i'm going to just get super specific just so we know who we're talking about so we're, i'm talking about black people all day and night okay so people of color is way too broad you know because that means we're talking about asians native americans and the list will go on okay yep so the but and the reason why this is important is because black people in this country, um, who are not immigrants, um, have a very unique history and contribution in this country that um, has so many stories um, that do need to be told about our being here and as well as the things that we've overcome, that are unique to the black experience. And one thing is true. Um, that there were signs that said Black people could not go to this park. Black people cannot swim in this pool. Um, we can turn to the plaintive lyrics of Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit to remind us that bad things happen to Black people in the woods. But I will say that today, those signs don't exist. And we don't have to worry about those things in the way that we might have in, our, in the 1950s. And it's time to tell a new narrative about how we have, as Black people, persisted even through those rough times that persisted so much so that Black people created places of recreation in spite of Jim Crow. There are places like Lincoln Hills, Martha's Vineyard, Lake Ivanhoe, and more, that people created... These and these are like people who were, you know, the professionals of their community who bought land and set up shop to create places of recreation for people to learn and and enjoy fishing activities and other boating activities, to camp, to feel belonging. And there were black outfitters, guides um innkeepers restaurant um you know owners that were earl- the earliest contributors to the outdoor economy as we know it today so there's a whole hell of a lot to celebrate about that specific kind of tenacity and those are the people whose shoulders I stand on today and is why outdoor afro is deliberately focused on celebrating and inspiring Black leadership and connections to the outdoors. Knowing that, yeah, if I were to locate my reason for being in a place of pain, which I could easily do, um, it does not give the kind of generative energy that is needed to sustain this work over time. Uh, you can only hold the fight stance for too long, and then your arms get tired.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay?
0: And you and we and we and we cannot we cannot change what has happened, but we can learn from it, and we can create empowered narratives that open the door for possibility. And that's, that's what this work is all about. And, you know, I get every now and then pushed back. You know, people are like, why are you doing outdoor Afro? That's racist. That's being, you know, why do we have to talk about race? And, it, and to me, it's as simple as this. You know, like when I first became a mom in the Bay Area, I joined a women's or a, a mom's group in the Bay Area. And it wasn't that we were like, you know, well, people from Salt Lake City aren't welcome, or <laughs> dads, or dads can't be a part of it. You know, it's it, it was a it was about the specificity of yeah. the moment of yeah. of knowing that I was going to get highly relevant information based on my life's experience, and um, and so I'm a big champion of of all kinds of affinity groups. I'm glad to see that there's more outdoor affinity groups that really focus on you know specific groups of people because I think oftentimes of like the quilts I grew up with that were made by my mom and grandma and they had like all these different like cl- pieces of clothing and linens um, that were all sewn together to create this quilt right and that's what made that quilt am- amazing is because of all those different elements there might be a little bit of my t-shirt or might be a little bit of my you know pillowcase, you know, in it, but it was each of those elements as themselves that created the quilt and outdoor Afro gets to be a patch in the quilt of this bigger conversation of how we can get more people to fall in love and have agency in our
1: outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love how you said that. So let me ask you this, you know, relative to, um, maybe talk a little bit about outdoor Afro, uh, since you mentioned it, just to explain what it is. Um, and within the, the realm of, of this mission of getting black people outdoors, uh, how do you, a follow-up question to, you know, to outdoor Afro, how do you inspire people and connect them to nature? Um, when let's say they're not close to those awe-inspiring places. So when you talk about those places that you love, that I love, that have mountains, that have enormous, many hundred-year-old trees, et cetera, things like that, which I think you would, you would have to be nearly, I, I don't know, I, I think everybody could get inspired in those places. But when you live in a city, you live in a place that maybe people would consider um unremarkable how do you connect people to nature and 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 get black people to to understand the the amazing aspects of of wilderness and wild spaces
0: yeah i i think we have to also change some narrative around defining what nature is right um because as long as it's only framed as as these far away and iconic destinations then you're going to exclude many people of all backgrounds um, from that access, right? And so when I hear those stats, right, of like, you know, 0.0001% of Black people are, you know, going to insert any, you know, iconic national park, right? Um, you know, I, I find it a bit problematic because we aren't really looking at how people's lives really are lived, Right. And what time they actually have, real time they have to really access those places. We're talking busy working families who have lots of family and household commitments on weekends. Maybe it's, you know, soccer practice, little league, caring for grandma, shopping, house honeydew list, um, Sundays, day of rest, uh, worship. so you mean to tell me that that person's wrong for not getting in their car and, and driving for hours or more to go to a place they've never been? They don't know what's going on there. They don't know what the food is going to be like. They don't know how they're going to find rest that they desperately need during their busy week. So, you know, my job has really been so much about how do we reframe what nature is and recognize that and for our community. The surprise, surprise answer was that the that the number one reason people weren't getting outside was because of time. They didn't feel they had enough time, and so when you make nature be over there four or five hours, who has time for that? And so what has been important for me is to really kind of help people understand nature. Is not something that's separate from you. That you are nature. And before I sound too woo woo about this, <laughs> I, think, I think you know. Let's just let's just break it down. It's like you know, it's it's the body. It's the water that's in our bodies. That's the majority of our bodies. It's the air that we breathe. That is the off gas of plants. It is. It is. It is all up in us, right? And. And so I think what's important for us to keep reinforcing is that nature is us. We are nature. Hmm. That we yeah. are not this separate thing that's like non-nature and we've got to somehow go to nature. No, we are nature. And that means that you can you can show up in your nature everywhere you can be. And you can find that connection with other elements of nature. When you're out, I don't care if you live... In the hood. The birds are still in the hood.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. The flowers
0: are still blooming in the hood. Now, you may not have the abundance or the landscapes or, you know, the the fauna, you know, that's found in some of these iconic wilderness areas. But when I've helped people to just shift their focus from not what they don't have, but what they actually do have then there's possibilities that really open up for people that they didn't even imagine and that's been a big part of the job of Outdoor Afro you know is is helping people one find places obviously close to home because for busy working families like you may only have 2 hours to get outside so how do we make how do we make the outdoors work better for people versus expecting that if we build it they'll come And I think, you know, nature and wilderness has a PR problem where we have just not done a good enough job as, say, Disney or Carnival Cruises to help people prioritize coming, saving their resources, their time time off to be able to enjoy some of these places. And so I just I think there's just a, a, a new way that we should talk about another way that we should talk about who has access and really celebrating the ways that that anyone has access to that nature that is within, but also that nature that's really close to home.
1: So uh, I, I I completely agree with you in terms of the PR challenges, um, and and I also like in terms of of the tr- the changing the narrative of the assumption of you need to travel to these iconic places. Um, I had a gentleman on uh, the podcast a few weeks ago, a friend locally here, uh, Tyler Winter. He's promoting uh, going after rough fish while fishing, and he talked about how guys are are talking about taking big fishing trips, you know, hours and hours away, either flying or driving. And he said, you know, you've got all these opportunities right in your backyard. He literally goes out almost to, to his backyard, can take his car just down the street, and take his kids out in the Mississippi, and go after these these fish, these really hard-fighting, unique fish. Um, But let me ask you this, the analogy you made or the comparison with, let's say, amusement parks. Um, I think there is a challenge sometimes with people of selling the idea of hard work in tough conditions when opposed to um spoon-fed entertainment of let's say let's say an amusement park. So what's your thought around that? And what have you seen as as uh either ways that 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 challenge is is really an impediment or you've been able been able to overcome it with people and convince them that no, you know what, this this bug infested place where you're gonna get muddy, you're gonna your muscles are gonna be sore, etc. You're gonna love it.
0: Yeah. No, I I definitely don't sell that. (laughs) 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 You know, you got you gotta, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're talking about, what you're talking about, you gotta know your market. Okay. That's just like, you know, you got you gotta know your audience and you gotta frame things in a way that really speaks to people's values. OK, so if you're talking to, to someone, let's say, you know, who cares a lot about food um, and, and you want to encourage them somehow to hunt, you know, you, 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 you start with sharing those delicious recipes. You start with sharing the, these delicious, these incredible outcomes that you have from, you know, harvesting your own meat. Um, and so I feel like for Outdoor Afro, I really recognize that we are not the one stop shop for all things in the outdoors. I really want to help people develop confidence um, to find their comfort in the outdoors. And it's from their time spent with us that that can help them take on other experiences. And I've seen it happen now that we've been doing this for over a decade. I've seen the unlikely hiker come all the way through over these years and report back to me all the things they're doing with their family that include going to some of these iconic places and challenging themselves and their comfort level. Um, and so I really believe that everything has its place and it has its order. And you are right that if you sell the outdoors as hardship, as um, you know, as, as like imitating, like destitute situations that so many people are battling to not have in their lives, then you're definitely gonna, you're gonna lose. Um, But if you, if you sell the things that I know people care about, like community, like, um, you know, being smarter about their food choices, um, you know, feeling peace, and and the mental health benefits that come with time outdoors, then you're, you're, you're going to really, I think, inspire people to want to try. And then that's why so much of the work we do is not just about getting our own little groups of people out, but it's about uh, amplifying that joy out into the world so that you look at all those smiling faces on our Outdoor Afro feed and you're like, yeah, I want that joy. I want that connection. I want that... Ha-. I want that thing that I can't create on my own. And I think you're right. you know there there is a huge difference between, you know people going to an experience to be catered to, right? Um but certainly, you know, you can you can go to certain hunt clubs and be absolutely catered to <laughs> at the right at the right price point. Um, and so and and you can have camping experiences where you can be absolutely more comfortable than um than just roughing it and so i think it's been important for us to educate people on the different levels um that they can embrace depending on you know what their needs are and and trust me there's something for everybody when it comes to the outdoors (laughs) i don't care if all you like to do is go to tailgates for your favorite football um you know uh organization it is when people are outside tailgating, they're using all the same camp equipment they're using like are It's like day camp for grownups, you know, when I see scenes like that and people are having the fellowship, they're having the community, um, and, and they're cooking outside over open flame. I mean, all of it. Um, and so I think we just have to reframe and really meet people at the, with their values
1: when it comes to the outdoors. So you've mentioned, um, I believe I, I, when I was looking at some different videos and things of you, you you had mentioned that you love how nature slows us down, uh, and I think again relative to the pace of society today. Um, it's funny when, when I, I saw something recently, it was something from like back a clip of a show, something back in the sixties. And they were talking about how fast everything was moving in this world. And I thought, wow, they have, they have no clue where it's at now. And I'm sure somebody 50 years from now will say the same thing. You had no clue, but how does, how does that slowing down benefit us individually and as you talk about fellowship and community, which I think there, those are two sides of the outdoor of the outdoor coin. Which is, I think, there's with that slowing down, with that quietness, there's an opportunity for personal reflection to really get in touch with whatever that space is solo but also to connect with others who are part of, of that outdoor experience with you. So how do you think that that slowing down really promotes the fellowship and community or, or the personal connections?
0: I, I love your question here um, because one of the things that, it that makes me, it makes me reflect on is that there's still only 24 hours in a day. And The pace of life as we live it is largely manufactured. Um, It's not not a circadian, it does not flow in a circadian 24-hour cycle. And when you're in nature, it forces you, especially over a prolonged period of time, to sync up with the true pace that the cycle of life is actually happening in. Yeah, and, and so I feel like when I, one one example is like when I go camping with people um, and I used to go to this family camp um, with my children every year, um, Feather River Family Camp in um, Quincy, California, um, which is a city camp for Oakland residents. And I, I just remember the depth of connection that I experienced with my fellow campers that took probably a good two days to kind of break through to, because you feel that itchiness, like my phone, my checking my phone, um, you know, uh, just different habits that we, we have, you know, become accustomed to in our day-to-day life. They all start to, many of them start to fall away. I mean, you still need to, you know, eat and sleep and all that good stuff. But a lot of the things that we fill our lives with become less and less relevant when you're out in these wilderness settings. And and every time, you know, there's something that happens where everybody gets in sync and there is a connection that we're able to um, plug into with one another that's not even available back at home because we have all of these other distractors that keep us, and there's this anthropological term called deep hanging out that I learned from um, a colleague of mine, Malcolm Margolin, who was, um, who led Heyday Press back in the day. And um, he wrote about deep hanging out. And it's just this practice of being able to be, just be with people. Mm-hmm. And I only saw the same families that one summer, at one, at one week in one summer, uh, every summer for some years but it was out of that deep hanging out that we be, we actually became lifelong friends mm. in a way that is so different than even people I spend more time with who I see more frequently because I just get to be with them and they just get to be with me and and I think that is the clutter that nat- nature gets to clear away from our sense of you know time and busyness and um presence and um and helps us sink our sleep up in a different way I get really great sleep when I'm out in wilderness situations uh except for Alaska in the summertime <laughs> that's <laughs> it. that's when it, you- it all goes out the window I'm like it's 11 really um but <laughs> no it, but generally speaking you know it 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 and and that's when you, you get to be in your human animal form, you know, um, when you're in those places, too, um, with heightened sensitivity and and, you know, just, you know, cycles of, of work and rest seem to feel much more in harmony than the schedules we impose on ourselves outside of nature experiences.
1: Hey, everyone, just a quick break to tell you about Hunting Coaches by Modern Carnivore. This is a new service we're offering, and it pairs perfectly with our online video courses at Hunting Camp Live. With Hunting Coaches, you get one-on-one guidance and support with an experienced hunter from our coaching network. You can ask your coach any question by live video chat, and when you combine this support with one of our online video courses, you'll be on your way to becoming a competent hunter. Right now, you can get a 30-minute session of coaching for free. So head on over to modcarn.com forward slash hunting coaches and grab your free half hour session with one of our network coaches before all the spots are gone. Now back to the podcast. You know, I think that's one of the things that we as Americans, um, have, have always gotten wrong in, in our modern society, I feel like is when we take vacations, we try to jam so much into such a tightly compressed amount of time that we don't let our body and our mind get into that space the way it needs to be. I think it takes probably, like you said, you said three days. Those first two, three days especially with other people, you're figuring out the situation, the place you're at, the people you're around, even if you know them well, maybe you haven't seen them, maybe they're family, but you haven't seen them in a year. You need to reacquaint yourselves with being around each other. And to me, a a reflection, a great situation, I had an experience recently, and and I thought about it when I was in the midst of it. And that is sitting around a campfire with a group of people And there gets to be a lull in the conversation and actually a quietness and that quietness actually holds for a period of time and nobody's uncomfortable with it because you're, you're now in this space of place and people of where it's all sort of, breathing together really well it's in that that cycle that you talk about that natural cycle not the manufactured you know daily cycle of of modern society and you're fine with just that quietness there as as a group and uh i think that's i think that's important and and i think both you and i and and many people have experienced that we just want Everybody to experience that? How do we get more people to understand the power of that situation? Yeah. So
0: it, it takes time to get there. And I think, you know, we as people who are already passionate evangelists of the outdoors, you know, have to be careful not to rush people to the altar of these experiences because to do so can actually cause more harm. Then good, and we and you do truly have to meet people where they are, you know. So if we're if if someone needs to start off at, at a neighborhood level, then meet them there, you know. If they have to start off at a fishing level before introducing firearms, meet them there, you know. And don't expect that, you know, everyone's going to be in your jam. And and over time, you know, you develop your own nature swagger, your own nature jam, you know. And that's okay. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to look the same from person to person. Um, your expression in, in, in nature should be as unique as you are, as where you live, as what opportunities you want to make available um, for yourself and your family. And so I, I really just try and open up our aperture or our viewpoints about what nature is so that when you do that, you can include more people in on a on a more kind of asset based conversation versus what they what they are not doing or what they need to do more of.
1: So you brought up a great phrase there. Uh which has happens- you like what I did right there? <laughs> yeah I like I, I saw what you did there. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh Nature Swagger, which is the forthcoming book by Roomap. Um tell us a little bit about it. You know I, I I, one of the, there were some things in there, there were many things that I just, I just was fascinated by in terms of people's stories. Um, and one of them was Julius grow talked about being unapologetic. So mm-hmm. maybe use that as a starting point and in, in what this book is about and why, why it's important for, it'll be important for people to read it.
0: Well, for me, I was so um, taken and inspired over these years by all the different stories, you know, of people's agency in nature that, you know, these were not necessarily like famous people. These were people who had just found like their joy, like they, they hit that vein of belonging in nature. And I wanted those stories to be told because we all know about, you know, the iconic figures, we all know about, you know, the extreme, you know, activities and and the milestones that have been achieved in some of them. But I really wanted to get us back to this ordinary conversation that speaks to the diversity of the Black American experience in this country. And I was so proud that our youngest contributor um, was nine years old. Our eldest is 99. Um, And you have this incredible geographic sampling, too, of people who, you know, talk about what matters to them. And there's a mix of things that you might expect, along with some things you might not expect. And in the case of Julius, you know, this is a, you know, over six foot tall black gay man in Oakland. Um, who I actually happened to meet um, because he worked at my son's school years ago. And I encouraged him to be an outdoor Afro leader applicant. And he did. And he became stellar in his ability to bring all kinds of people together and really, you know, share this new representation that we hadn't seen before of what leadership looks like in the outdoors. And I was so um you know, moved by so many things he's done over the years, you know, he, he was an easy ask to include in the book, but I didn't tell people what to write. I just said, Hey, talk, let's talk about your joy. Let's talk about your nature. You know, like this is, you know, this ain't the book that's going to get into the, the, the political and social wise, right? This is really about stepping proudly into our joy and our purpose in the outdoors. And he, like so many others answered that call so beautifully.
1: No, really great stories in there. I love the foreword by Shelton Johnson, where he talks Mm -hmm. about a homecoming um, and friction that burns off the thin veneer of the city and to reveal the country within us, within all of us. What does he mean by that?
0: I think, you know, one thing that Shelton has said over and over again is that. You know, this connection to nature is really about a connection to yourself. And when you are out in these places, in your humanity, um, in these nature places, it, it, you know, it's not only an expression of your belonging, but it's also an expression of your interconnectedness uh, to other humans um, that you can connect with through time immemorial to other species that inhabit the earth. And so it it's important for us to find those places that, you know, that do burn off that superficiality that we create in our lives that gets us connected to what is not only real right now but that has always been real and always will be real about the natural world. And we can forget about our our connection to it being so in our holy humanness. Um, that we're just animals too, mm-hmm. um, and we have, you know, our role and responsibility as such.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think the ability to put us in our place and give perspective is is important, and I think that does happen in the outdoors. I love uh pandora thomas said you know she found that the god and spirituality were also in nature not just in church she grew up in a, in a church family yeah. and uh i i've i've told this story oftentimes my my dad had a placard of this wooden placard on the wall of our cabin growing up so for me our family cabin was like your ranch where I spent all my time outdoors and, and just, it was a big part of my connection to the outdoors. And, and this, and this whole placard said, it's, it's better to be fishing and thinking about God than sitting in church and thinking about fishing.
0: (laughs) That is that is perfect. I need that in my life.
1: <laughs> Isn't it great? And and I mean, I think it it's it says so many things on, on so many levels. And so I mean, if you I guess one one of the other things I just wanted to bring up before we run out of time, because I know you've got something else to go to, but um you personally, your your journey continues to evolve in the outdoors. You know, you grew up in Oakland, California with a father who hunted you got got into camping as a young adult did outward bound um have visited the parks um and and so i think you had some hunting in your background but you've sort of deepened that in recent years right and so maybe talk about that a little bit of of how does uh, how does hunting fit into your outdoor journey and why why is it important
0: yeah i mean i feel like i've been talking about that part of my background from the very beginning of outdoor Afro and really anybody who'd ever, I mean, you listen to anything I've been talking about since 2009 and I always bring up my dad and hunting and fishing. And it was, it's something that I've wanted to get back into. Um, but it is and was extremely hard to do so, especially now that my dad's passed on many of the uncles have passed on and, you know, we all know that people learn to do things through repeated experience, and oftentimes, most successfully, when they have access to their teachers, like someone in their home or in their family. And so, I didn't have that. And I'm in California, which is not known for its hunting prowess, unfortunately. And I struggled to find community. And I've, so it's been a, a desire of the heart to be a, in the practice of hunting for almost as long as Outdoor Afro. And so um, it wasn't until um, the last few years with um, being able to connect in with the good folks at Meat Eater, um, who, you know, led me in, in, in you know, by exposure uh, to my own hunting mentor, Holly Heiser, um, where I was able to really get in there and just embrace the learning curve and the experience curve in a very different way. Um, And so I refer to myself really as a born-again hunter, you know, because it's not altogether new and I'm not altogether new to outdoors. But even for someone like me who, you know, knows how to get around, knows how to network, it still was really hard. And as you know, there's so many things to learn uh, that all have to work together to be um, both humane and lawful. Um, and so it's, uh, and I'm still learning. I mean, it's, it's a life journey. Um, and I think now I've gotten a bit more clear about the types of hunting I like to do. And, and certainly, um, you know, now that my fiance, um, you know, is hunting, I have someone to do it with in my home. And so, you know, I have solved for a lot of the challenges that I know are really tough for new hunters to gain entry and access Um, But yeah, I mean, and this was and also, too, I felt more urgency, I'd say, in the last few years, because I felt like that was a part of my story and a part of my dad's story that I really wasn't serving well and that I wasn't going to serve it unless I had the experience. And so it was almost like, you know, I can feel my I can more than anything else I've done in my professional career. I feel so strongly my dad's presence in it. It's like, it's not, I'm not trying to be spooky or anything, but like when I came down off of that hill, that Sonoma Hill, and I had that turkey slung over my shoulder, I just felt like awash with my dad's approval. It was, it it was just a, a stunning moment of, of, of looking out over into that valley and in that misty morning and just knowing I was doing the right thing all the way to my just soul core, you know? And so I feel like it's not just about the, um, the role I I can play as a, as a, you know, somewhat public person to influence more people to hunt, but it's also the calling that's, it was within my own life And how, you know, I get to, you know, rekindle that fire in my own generational threads so that my family doesn't lose it again.
1: That's wonderful. I love, love hearing that. I I have a, a the most important question of our conversation is Do you know if the walk-in smokehouse that your father built at the ranch is still standing? Do you still have the, that place in the family?
0: Yes, and yes. Um, I actually I actually took a picture of it and sent it to my um, well, everyone's friend is Giannis Patelis. Um, <laughs> we we went on a turkey hunt, um, different than the one I just described, but just as much, if not more um, powerful of an experience. And we actually went went to the the family ranch and shot some footage. And um, I took them to the smoker and there's still like twine hanging from the bar. And, you know, just, you can see like my dad who was not an educated person. My father probably had no more than the eighth grade education, which is still hard to gauge because- This was Jim Crow South style education where everybody was in one room. And, and so, um, you know, he, like a lot of people didn't really get educated, but he was absolutely an incredible carpenter and builder and could create anything. And he built me my first bed with like drawers that came out. And there are so many artifacts all over the ranch of his hand and in, in building things and not just. Building things for utility and functionality, but also building for you know aesthetic beauty as well. And um, and he was he was classic in his reuse of materials. And so that smokehouse was was completely constructed from reused materials, things Lovely. that he he repurposed. Um, you know pipes and um, you know metal drums and. You know, it was, it, it's, it's very fascinating to look with adult eyes at, at that ingenuity and what it was able to produce. When I remember the big hams that used to hang from it, you know, before Christmas time and sausages, you know, ropes of sausages um, that were there, you know, to fill up everyone's freezer
1: um, from our big old heavy um, sows. That's great. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear it's still standing. When I read read uh, read that uh, he'd built that, I'm like, I I, I hope it's still there. It was uh, important? I should,
0: yeah, I think I I have a picture of it. I think I'll text it to you.
1: Yeah, text yeah. it to me. That'd be great. I'll 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 put it on because I'm sure everybody's gonna want to see it now that you've talked about. It. I'll put if you don't mind. I'll put it on yeah. the. I can put it on the on the uh, podcast notes. Yeah, page. it's
0: super ancient, and it's but it still has like you can still see the soot from the smoke in it.
1: I think those connections are important. And and the way you talked about your, the spirit of your dad feeling that when you're walking down the hill with that Turkey, I, I know what you're talking about. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's that, that's the part that's important, but it's also cool when there are these, these things like the smokehouse and other other tactile things that represent that history. This last weekend I was up in my family cabin, and I uncovered it back in the garage, uh, my grandfather's Duluth pack, which is literally from the 19 teens, probably this very, yeah. very old Duluth pack. Wow. And I've done a lot with the Boundary Waters, if you're familiar with it, Northern yep. Minnesota over the last 10 years. And so it was just so fun to see that that connection to you know, trips that he obviously took up in canoe country, as it was called at the time. And, um, and I think having, having that history and, and celebrating that history of the outdoors is great. So
0: you know, there's nothing like, there's nothing better. It's all, and, you know, and getting those artifacts, I don't know if you feel this way, but it almost like makes you, you know, it's, it it's, it's like, okay, it wasn't just a fantasy. Like it wasn't, I'm not just, I didn't just make like, this actually has, you know, it's like evidence, right? Um, of, of, of that life and, and the meaning of that life that I just,
1: I just always treasure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rue, let's do this again sometime. I appreciate you taking time to talk about it and, and, uh, all the best with the release of the book again, nature swagger and people can get it where.
0: You can get it on um, chroniclebooks.com or you can get it on Amazon and we're trying to get it in as many independent bookstores as we can. So it'll be, it'll be widely available um,
1: wherever books are sold. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, websites for room app and outdoor Afro.
0: Yeah. So um, you can follow my personal journey um, um, as a, as someone who leads this organization, but it's very much my personal narrative on Instagram at Roomap. And then if you want to follow my hunting adventures, I've created a nice little playground called Black Heritage Hunt on Instagram. And then Outdoor Afro is Outdoor Afro across all the platforms, including outdoorafro.org. If you want to learn how Outdoor Afro um, can be a part of your community, um, or if you want to find other ways to be involved.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks for being with us today, Ru.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. It's so much of a pleasure to be with you. And I hope we can get out and adventure together sometime this year.
1: Sounds great.
0: Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.